This is Jack Spillane, um, the editorial page editor and Sunday editor of the Standard Times, and I'm here today with Jeanette Barnes, a senior reporter and special projects reporter at the, the Standard Times, to talk to her about a story she did on some immigrants who came across the border and experienced the exact same situation that we've all been reading about in the national news. Uh, so we're here for both Jeanette's Venture Anything podcast and my All Politics South Coast Today podcast. Jeanette, tell us about this family. Okay, so the uh, the idea behind the story was to um, tell the story of a family that's living in New Bedford now that was separated um, at the border and separated from their child in this case, uh, because that's something that people are hearing about on the news and you know may not realize that there are people in our own community who have been through that experience. Um, this family, uh, Carmelina and Andres, they came from Guatemala up into Mexico, and they have a son, um, Darian, who's nine. The mother and son were together for only a brief time uh, after, I guess I should go back, the father was separated from them first, Andres, um, and I, I believe she said that she was with her son for about two hours after that, and then he was separated from them, from her. So the father was sent to Georgia to uh, an immigration facility in Georgia. They don't have enough room for everyone who's coming in and um, into the border states, and they're sending them to other states. So the father was sent to Georgia. The son, nine years old again, was sent to New York, the state of New York, somewhere to a juvenile facility. At some point, um, she was allowed to be released to wait for further hearings. So um, she came to New Bedford to, um, you know, to live. They had uh, some family connections here in New Bedford, and she was allowed to, to um, kind of wait her time out, wait out her, her immigration process in the community. I understand the son was in New York for about two months. For, uh, two months. Right. And um, afterwards, he was, um, needed a little bit of reassurance from his mother? Right. Well, I mean, he, uh, of course, he was reunited with her. Now they, they live in New Bedford. Um, she told me that uh, he asks every day about his father, um, you know, and uh, they both they both get upset when they talk about it because it is sad, but she tells, she tries to tell him, you know, um, at least you're with me now, and she tries to comfort him that way. Yeah. It's interesting. You hear about um, these families that come over, but you don't really think of them in New Bedford, but uh, Corinne Williams over at the... Um, uh, community center, the, the central... Right, the Community Economic Development Center, um, which is on Cushionet Avenue yeah. in the near North End. She um, does, excuse me, she does a lot of things to um, help new immigrants to New Bedford, um, not unlike some other organizations, but she's focused there in the near North End, um, and she was our connection to help us um, find a family in this position. And she says as many as five families a week are, are coming to New Bedford, not all of them separated, but but arriving in the city? Right. I think she said five five to ten new families a week, and um, some of them are unaccompanied minors. Yeah. So uh, afterwards, they, they set up in an apartment in New Bedford, and when you visited there, uh, you found it was not your typical apartment. Right. Well, it's shared with um, six people who uh, she said are related in some way, but they're not necessarily um, immediate family that we would think of as living in the same household. So that, um, 
in every case. So there's a, she said she shares a room with her cousin. Um, her son shares a room with his grandfather. So it's extended family. Um, and certainly we noticed that there's a, there's a central dining room um, where there's a folding table, folding chairs, um, some fruit and such on the table. But the room, by kind of American standards, even for a family that's living in poverty, the room is very empty. Um, and in what would be the living room, again, largely empty, except there's an altar on one side um, with a lighted candle and um, some pictures of Jesus and books. Um, but yeah, you get kind of the sense that it's almost like a house, what, what Americans would think of as a housemate situation, that most of their personal belongings are in the bedrooms and they're sharing this, this dining space and the kitchen and such. Um, that's kind of, you know, as I said before, that's kind of um, me putting my Americanized view, right, on, on their living situation. I don't know, how, you know, how, how that would translate in Guatemala, but. Sure. Of course, we've all read that uh, Guatemala is a violence-torn country with a, a significant gang problem and, and um, the gangs are terrorizing the population. Um, when you talk to um, uh, Kamalina, uh, what, what did she say was the reason the family came? Um, she said that um, it was because of violence and politics and for opportunity. Um, excuse me. <laughs> so she said they, they do believe that um, their son is good in school and they wanted uh, better education for him. But she also said kind of if you're not with them, um, which sounds to me like she means the, the gangs, but she didn't go into it. Um, if you're not with them, that things are not going to go well for you. Uh, and certainly the violence um, and extortion and uh, gangs and such are well documented in Guatemala. And actually, if you read, if you read kind of like the, uh, the State Department tourist warnings for people, Americans going to Guatemala, it's pretty frightening. In the course of doing this story, um, you encountered some challenges in um, communicating and, and talking to the, to, to the immigrants? We did, um, largely because Carmelina speaks, um, my, I'm told she doesn't really speak much Spanish. She speaks Quiche, which is uh, one of the native languages of Guatemala, um, the indigenous Mayan languages. So we had to find someone who could kind of put a trans uh, interpret between Quiche and English. Um, and through Corinne, we did find someone who um, knows all three languages, Quiche, Spanish, and English. Um, but, you know, interpreting is kind of an art and people get a lot of training in that. This person was not really trained in that way. Um, she did help us a lot and she did a good job. I think though that, um, I'm not 100% sure that she was fluent in all three languages because there were definitely times when I would ask a question and the answer that came back seemed like it wasn't 100% to the question that I asked. And I don't think Carmelina was being invasive exactly, uh, or at all. I think that maybe there was a little of a disconnect in the translation. Um, but also someone who's in a very vulnerable position like that has a lot of reasons to be concerned about how much they're saying. Uh, this family's circumstances are still in flux. They they don't know um, whether when or if the father will be deported or whether he'll be able to come back at all. They don't know whether to go back 
uh, with him or to to stay in New Bedford. I understand the son is now at Hayden McFadden. Well, did, did you? Um, do they seem to have a lot of uncertainty to their lives? Yes, for sure. Um, again, a, a little tough to get full details on someone else's immigration case, but in, uh, in this situation, the um, Southern Poverty Law Center had an attorney who represented the father, Andres, for part of his proceeding. Um, and what I'm told is that he got a positive report out of what's called the credible fear interview. So if you're someone who um, is apprehended at or near the border in, in certain circumstances, there are the, every, every situation is a little different, but uh, many people have to go through this credible fear interview to try to establish whether or not you have a credible fear of persecution or torture if you return to your home country. Um, I'm told that he received a positive report out of that, meaning that um, he was deemed to have a sufficient credible fear to go forward with, um, I guess, with an asylum claim. However, um, getting that positive report does not guarantee that A, you will get asylum, or B, that you will even be released while you await asylum. He still had to go before a judge to see if he would be um, granted bond. And for reasons I don't really know the details of, the judge did not grant him bond. So he would be held more or less indefinitely for some kind of extended period of time while uh, the rest of his immigration proceeding uh, went forward. In light of that, he asked to be deported instead. That's what I'm told. Um, and what happens after that, though, is a little a little less clear. Um, there's in the system, there's some kind of um, additional court date in there, but I'm told that that's more or less a technicality um, and that he doesn't really have like another hearing. Um, so I believe that at some point he will be deported, but I don't know. Must be difficult for the family to be separated that way. Um, so there's said to be anywhere from three to 5,000, maybe even more uh, undocumented immigrants in New Bedford. Um, there are also people here who are concerned about the immigration situation and the way the laws are working in the United States. Um, do you have any observations to make in, in just in terms of um, uh, after talking to this family, uh, uh, what you saw and what, what, what um, uh, you observed in terms of their situation? Do you mean in terms of what I think about immigration policy? Or? I, I, I mean that there's two sides to any issue. Right. And, and so we have uh, citizens in New Bedford concerned about immigrants. We have also many happy to help them. And then we have the immigrants. And it, it just seems like in the community, you know, the, the, this is the reality. And did you come away from this story with any observations about that reality or... Well, I think, you know, uh, anybody can see that these are difficult humanitarian situations, no matter what you think about how to fix it, you know, whether you believe in um, kind of a wall or a completely, you know, welcoming uh, uh, process. Uh, one of the, the lawyers I spoke to uh, for this story said, uh, when she volunteered at the 
border in Texas, she said, everyone coming in here has a place to go. They have, everyone has a plan. They have like family or someone they know or something. And, and, you know, her view was like, hey, just let them go. We need workers in this country. We need people. Not everyone agrees with that. You know, people feel like I've spoken to other people um, who say things like, you know, we can't just let the entire population of a country come in here without documenting them. And we may not be able to fit all of those people and all those arguments. Um, you know, it's not really, really, I feel like it's not really my role as a reporter to, um, to make a judgment on that, but more to kind of tell the human angle of the story. And that's happening, that, you know, what's happening to these families is happening regardless of, of your politics. And I think it's good to know know what it's really like on the ground and then maybe maybe our people's politics can be better informed thanks Jeanette uh, 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 for being my guest uh, this has been uh, Jack Spillane and Jeanette Barnes for Venture Anything in Our Politics South Coast